Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. All right. So, how's it going? It's going, man. Let's just have silent meditation for the podcast today. Yeah. Mm. People listen. For sure. Because silence is the megaphone of God and of the podcast. Silence is the megaphone of God. I've never heard that expression. Yeah. That's some great spiritual master. First name Mike, last name Metz came up with that one. You never heard that before? No. Have you ever experienced that before? I think so. I was watching last night an episode with Tom Bernie came over. We watched Alone in the Arctic on Netflix. Have you ever seen this show? Mm-mm. No. There's a new-ish season. It's from 2019, but I think it just came out um, on Netflix. I think it's a Discovery Channel show. They give people like 12 items and then their own camera equipment and stuff and they have to film themselves and there's like 12 contestants and they have to make it 100 days in the Arctic starting in oh, September. I've heard about this. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. It's early. It's pretty... It's the most real reality TV I've ever seen. There may be some and, cheating, but it, it sure seems like they're really alone. And they just film themselves? And they film themselves trying to survive. But you talk about mm. silence as the megaphone of God. That's the one guy only made it 12 days before he really tweaked his knee and he was starting to get like feverish because of the cyst that was happening in his meniscus oh. and he finally tapped out. They have like a sat phone and they, they can call anytime and they, they come get him. Yeah. Uh, Man. But even 12 days, he's like just being totally distractionless. You and nature, you have nothing, no one to talk to. Um, it's very cleansing and these are not, you know, some people talk about spirituality, but you never see anybody praying or anything. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's a healthy form of, of silence. So just to be all alone in the woods by yourself for a hundred days. Yeah. You know, there's like, there's like healthy forms of silence and then there's some that, uh, because my guess is that if you lived out in nature and you were a part of, you know, whatever, some pre-urban civilization, that you were also there with people and there yeah, were natural true. encounters that were healthy and, and personal and outside of yourself. But then but then the, the natural silent time, that's how I heard my vocation to the priesthood. That's how the first time I heard the a personal call to be a priest. I was just stuck in the woods with my platoon. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have nothing to silence this voice. Mm. It won't go away. Where is my iPad? Where is the radio and Michael Scott? That's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, yes and no. I think, I, I think of the Desert Fathers. They mm. were alone. I mean, they had mm -hmm. community. People would come, ask their counsel or bring them food and... And even, I think uh, we used to read John Cashin in 
one of our spirituality classes in seminary. And he was one of those guys that was um, a hermit. But the, the hermits all kind of lived within walking distance of each other. So they could, I don't know, celebrate liturgy together, I suppose. Um, I assume that a lot of them were priests. They had to have the sacraments. But there was a communal aspect to it. But there is also that solitude. Um, I don't know. that. That's an interesting question. The experience of someone who doesn't, let's say, even believe in God or someone who maybe does but doesn't have a relationship with him. Because a lot of these people are, are survival types, you know, that really their church is nature kind of people. At least that's my superficial judgment of them when they do their little background, like, here's where I'm from. This is what I love. It's, it's like learning survival skills or ancient primitive practices of tanning hides and snaring rabbits. And they're just like really into that as a hobby and they teach it to people. Um, so what is their experience of just being, yeah, utterly alone? There's the meta self-consciousness of having to film this and that consciousness that, you know, thousands of people will watch this eventually, my private moment in the woods. So it's not exactly total solitude, at least mentally. Um, but that's why I'm not, I'm not necessarily surprised that you don't see them praying on camera because the guy who won it a couple years ago who was awesome. His name was Jordan. I saw him on Joe Rogan and he, he is a Christian, like pretty devout. And he got into survival skills by going to Russia to help with this indigenous tribe, like an orphanage, um, this tribe of people who, who heard caribou and he just fell in love with the culture and lived with them for a few years, just hurting caribou. And he hurt his knee really bad and they were in the middle of nowhere. And he was basically just having to be carted around on like a stretcher. Um, he was utterly useless and they had no weight. He just had to wait for it to heal, which it eventually did. Um, wow. But yeah, I talk about solitude and community. Um, but you never saw him praying on camera, but that doesn't surprise me because that wouldn't be something that you would, you know, if you really had a sincere relationship with God, you're not going to set up the tripod and be like, okay, this is me praying my holy hour by the water. <laughs> you know, you're definitely not going to talk about it on the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, kind of like Baron was saying at the beginning of the shutdown, the blaze Pascal thing about, uh, divertissement, what is it? Diversion, how diverted we are all the time from the essentials and, shutting down and, you know, being isolated is painful, but sometimes it can, you know, like if you allow it to be, to quiet everything else, instead of just filling the space with more distraction on the internet or whatever, which I think many of us did, it can be a, a healing thing. Yeah. What, yeah. What do you think the, back to the, like the reality show that you watch, it sounds cool to watch, but I feel like just because it's, it's like filmed with the intention for this show. I don't know. It's lost something to its essence there to me mm -hmm. of, of that. Um, would you, would you agree? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a question of what is its essence. It's, it kind of reminds me of into the wild with that kid. Um, McCandless yeah. or whatever. Yeah. That crossed my mind. Uh, because he too journaled, um, 
but his, and I think he realized at the end, his project was kind of misguided, which was to like totally cut himself off from humanity in order to get back to nature or to find himself. And in the end, as he's dying, I think he realizes that to find himself, he has to be in relationship. That's where you get your identity is in loving relationships. Um, so whether you're filming it or journaling it or, you know, or you're John Cashin in the wilderness, people coming out to you to, to garner the wisdom that you've gleaned in prayer, it doesn't, no man is an island. It doesn't make sense to go find yourself by cutting yourself off. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, Rob, what's your intuition there? Hmm. I don't know. I, not not much is coming with it, honestly. It's just you know, it, it is just thinking about that, um, about like an experience like that. Going, is it the Arctic? Is that where they are? Back to yeah. the show itself, um, and. And I have no interest in doing that, nor like could I probably physically or mentally, um, just for the the record. But it, it'd be like there is something to the which is fine. It's a TV show, you know, but there's an artificialness to it that like, hey, I have this phone where I can get out if I get hurt. Um, and like I'm filming this for people to to watch that. It's like, I don't know. I mean, you could certainly have a powerful experience with it, but you can have that with with most things. Um, so it just seems a little bit like divided um, in an experience like that to talk about, yeah, what you would go through, kind of like what that type of silence would bring about versus even like a, a silence of, I mean that 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 is interesting of your your like Pascal kind of bringing him into it, Connor as well. Of like, yeah, like just sitting in your room alone for an hour. That's there's something about that. Not physically, I'm not trying to argue that at all. But there's something about that that seems harder to me than like going on even like a really intense reality TV show. Does that make any sense? Like as far as intuition? Yes. What, I, what I'm thinking about is um, sort of this whole thing as an analogy for celibacy in a way. You know, there's the, there's the kind of PR of when you're talking about like what's the purpose of celibacy for the kingdom, uh, availability for the mission, you know, conformity to Christ who was celibate. And then there's the actual experience of it, which um, somewhat you can you can share, uh, particularly with other celibates, both men and women, um, your close confidants, your friends, your spiritual directors. And then there's you know the fruits of of the prayer and the solitude and the um, you know that's I think that's what people one of the reasons people come to hear you talk is like okay you've devoted your life to being alone with God in a manner of speaking, um, whether that's the diocesan priesthood or the religious life. So that's for other people, you know, it's not, you're going off by yourself alone. You know, there's, there's letting people in. Um, but then there's, there's an aspect of it that just cannot be communicated. It's just a, a very primal human experience. 
of solitude. Um, that is, in, in a way, I think we acknowledge unnatural because it's, it's a supernatural gift. Um, and it only makes sense because you're not really alone. You're never alone. And being alone physically allows you to be more in communion intimately with the God who is invisible. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, to me, it's like this existential question of, you know, I'm, I'm picturing every time I watch the show, there will be like a distant shot of somebody walking around a rock and then disappearing out of frame. And I think to myself, okay, well, she had to go back and get that camera, you know, so <laughs> right, right, right. The, the false, a false shot, you know, so it just get jars you out of the experience. But what you want to do is like lose yourself. And like, I want to be, I want to feel what it's like to be there, but not have any of the risk, you know, uh, to be yeah. able to sit in my house with my LaCroix and pretend I'm in the Arctic killing a Wolverine. Um, do they do that? Yes, the dude that one last time killed a wolverine with a hatchet. Whoa! Holy yeah. cow! It's it's for real, dude. I mean, okay, that changes that, everything. That's why yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah. It was recommended you to me. Led with that, man. Yeah. When it was recommended to me, I, I started watching it. I was like, oh, this is a reality show. You know, it's got the intros and the dramatic cuts where somebody like rolls an ankle and then they go to commercial, and you're like, oh my gosh, what happened? And, oh, this is corny. But then they start like showing them actually hunting animals and snaring rabbits and um, fishing and stuff. And you're like, this is really showing what it would be like in a way that other reality shows. So it gets it gets up to the edge of like what's possible with this kind of medium, uh, which can be voyeuristic. And and most Mm -hmm. survival shows you feel this is super corny and they have a whole camera crew that have granola bars. So he's never going to starve. But this just feels so close to, man, there's wolves there. And I don't care you got a sat phone. If the wolves turn on you, <laughs> that's going to be painful. You come across a grizzly, you're dead. Yeah. They're just going to hear it on the sat phone. That's all that's going to happen. You know, but, but does that make sense with the celibacy analogy? Like there's, there's just mm-hmm. part of being human. And I think John Paul II calls this original solitude. You know, it's not good for man to be alone. The, the experience of uh, being made in the image of God, there's there's a certain primal solitude to it that calls yeah. out for the other. And no matter how close you are to another human being, that solitude is always there. The feeling that, am I known? Am I loved? Uh and so celibacy kind of forces the issue, not unlike going off into the Arctic, whether you're into the wild kid or somebody on a show. Right. But there's always this feeling of like, yeah, but I need, I still need that, that tether to the rest of the rest of people. Yeah. Do y'all remember in the Holy Land going to a lot of those, um, kind of original monastic communities mm-hmm. that were built into like the sides of mountains and they had their own little like literally Marsaba. 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 Oh my goodness. That was such a cool place. Um, John Damascene's from there going into the skull room and oh, I, man. Yeah. yeah. And then I think there was also um, a, what once was a monastic community, maybe on the Mount of um, 
where the three temptations, the temptations of the Lord in the desert took place. I remember seeing a couple of caves up in there as well, where, where guys would just come and live individually, but also live communally as, as individuals. And I remember the image of uh, like a beehive kind of came, came to my mind that you have the, all these guys that are a part of this big home here, but they also have their own little, like their own little cave, their own little nook and cranny of it. And it made the mountain look like this big, uh, like a living thing almost. And having the individual aspect, but also having the, like, yeah, we live life in community, especially around the liturgy for the guys in Marsaba, um, was a really beautiful, powerful thing. But it, but it also makes me think of, and uh, Connor, I think you're going to jam on this, but um, <laughs> that documentary, My Octopus Teacher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. I'm still waiting for a Mount Athos reference on this. I was holding um, off. Yeah. Yeah. I could feel it. Um, but in that documentary, My Octopus Teacher, it, it follows a guy who is trying to kind of rediscover himself and his career. Uh, he's. Did you watch had, it, Rob? I have not yet. Okay. He's been in the film industry before, and but he's like just repulsed by even doing any of his camera work and just going through a lot of hard stuff. And he goes back to his childhood love, which is swimming off the coast of South Africa. And I can't remember the name of the the type of the ecosystem, but it's like a kelp forest, a kelp forest. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say a coral reef, but yeah, a kelp forest. So like under the water, not even close, dude, man, I would be a terrible marine biologist. <laughs> I majored in marine biology for three months. Okay. So I think I, <laughs> I think I know. Is that your George Costanza move? Doesn't he claim to be a marine biologist? <laughs> <laughs> but he, he goes in this, so he just returns to what he loves and he starts to return back to the same kelp forest, which is, he lives just off the coast of South Africa. And his house looks dope, by the way. It, it, it's very beautiful. It, and it's so... You talk about voyeurism into solitude. You're like, man, I want to be in that place by myself. Yeah. Like yeah. that guy. Yeah. Um, just legitimately one with one with nature. And that's the whole project that he gets into is he just starts diving and swimming in the same kelp forest every single day. And he, he does it for like a year. And he even intuits as he starts this project. I, I didn't even think he had a goal. He just was like, "Yeah, hey, this is what I I love. This is who I uh, this is a part of who I am." And so I'm just going to start doing this, just returning and and swimming. And he starts to encounter and like map out in his mind um, this underwater forest, hmm. and it's pretty amazing shots because uh, it really does look like a it looks like he's on another planet Yeah, is, is really what it looks like. And he actually begins to map it out and becomes very familiar with the terrain and becomes a master of like a very small plot of this kelp forest. But he even intuits um, like, I'm not going to use an oxygen tank. So he only has a snorkel and these big goggles and, uh, and he decided not to wear a wetsuit even though it's freezing cold, hmm. 
just so that he could like legitimately have no barriers between him and this environment that he wanted to be a part of. And he becomes like Aquaman, dude. It's crazy. (laughs) And he like, he knows the entirety of this underwater terrain and he ends up encountering an octopus and he comes back and sees him for almost an entire year. And he can start to track underwater where this octopus is and they become buddies. And there's some amazing scenes of him swimming around with an octopus suction to his arm. And, you know, he documents sharks attacking it and he's going to kind of watch as a bystander as his buddy gets ravaged in the ecosystem that, that he's now become a part of and all these different things. But a cool part that, that I think it, it kind of plays into what we're talking about is he goes off into isolation and this undercurrent to the whole story is he wants to be a good father for his son. And towards the end of the documentary, he actually starts to invite his son to come dive with him. And he, he welcomes his son into this environment, starts to teach him the way of the land. And it's a way that they actually grow like very, very close to one another and regains a part of his understanding of who he is. And he starts to bring a camera in and actually starts to document this experience that he had been having kind of almost for himself, but it led to relationship. Like it led to communion with him. So in his isolation, it didn't disconnect him from the world. It it actually connected him more deeply and it connected him with people, his family. And there was something so correct about the trajectory of that documentary. It was like, wow, this is uh, something substantial is, is happening here. Um, so like all those other stories, it doesn't cut you off completely when you do the Pascal move correctly, but it actually brings you into deeper relationship in in a substantial way. Hmm. Yeah, man, that's a very good summary, Mike. I want to watch it now. Definitely watch sure. it. Everyone should watch it. It's it, very beautiful. It was one of those things where you're like, this is this is the best of of culture. You know, this is a Netflix documentary, very well shot with all of the professional bells and whistles. But this message just feels so, and not even Christian, but like pre-Christian philosophical lattice work, you know? Like, how do you see the world in a way such that Jesus can even make sense, hmm. you know? And uh, part of it was like, we are part of nature we are not this weird alien invader to the earth who either is um you know just a will to power nietzschean we have to dominate nature and extract all its goodies and create technology to harness it so that we can get our own selfish ends out of it and it's also not the opposite extreme we're just these um colonialist you know uh bad people who need to, you know, like basically disappear and let the earth just be. He enters into nature in a way where being a human being doesn't, it makes you part of it all. And yet a perspective on it that is able to see the deeper meaning, you know, the writing on the wall Mm. of like this octopus, it's not human, but I can be in relationship with it, you know? 
but like Adam naming all the animals, none of them are a suitable partner. So, but being part of nature is also being part of humanity, which is also being in a way part of God. You know, you're, you are an expression of his goodness and you feel that and it draws you into communion with the whole. Um, That's cool. Do you guys have to go? I have another kind of thought that just came. I got a little bit of time. Um, <clears throat> have you, well, it, it reminded me of two things when you were, um, talking that could be, yeah, just, um, the first one was, I remember years ago, do you guys remember Josh Hamilton, the old baseball player? He won an American oh, yeah. League MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's interesting talking about this. I'm reading a book right now, just in the evenings. Um, and it's, it's written by a medical doctor on like just surviving extreme environments of of people that have actually been like shipwrecked or lost in the desert and and so it's really cool because this guy is like an adventurer but he also is like a, an accomplished doctor as well so he ex- explains like all the bodily processes that happen and how they survived and all that and um so he gets into like these these details of like what the body does in order to survive and then like even when he had an interesting couple pages i read a couple nights ago of like after this this family was lost at sea for like 70 days or something like that but then it's actually interesting how their bodies have to adjust to being back then like Mm -hmm. once they were rescued um and it reminded me a little bit of so josh hamilton was this amazing baseball player like number one draft pick and but he all he got like super addicted to drugs and was just in this bad bad spot and i don't know where he is now i don't know how he's how he's doing but um Anyway, he I years ago I read his uh, little autobiography, and he talked about this this story of I mean he was pretty much at rock bottom, and he went and he stayed with his grandma, and that was the thing that like allowed him to at least get back like on the right path, and he said that he literally stayed with his grandma for, I don't know if it was two weeks or two months or whatever, but he he just did nothing but eat, like she just kept feeding him, and he would eat. And it like helped his body kind of like regulate and be able to heal itself by like going back to this place that he was loved. So there was like just something I always kind of thought that story never really kind of like dove into it, but there was something like human about it or like primal isn't the right word, but like that was the thing that allowed him back in to the fold a little bit to at least get a little bit of control was just going to this place where this person fed him, um, and loved him. And that, that was it. Mm. Um, so I was, I was just thinking about that. I don't know exactly how it, how it relates. Um, and the other thought, have you guys seen the, uh, uh, the, the movie in the Heights, the new, it's like the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical. Um, no, No, I haven't. It was good. I, I watched it. I had a. I got this free year of HBO Max, and so it's on it for a couple of weeks. And um, yeah, it was, I, I watched it one evening. It was. It, I enjoyed it, but um, it's like this kind of like modern. You know, it's this uh, Washington Heights in in New York, and um, but it, it's kind of like this modern day in a sense. Um, like it's a wonderful life. the The main character kind of ends up as this George Bailey 
um, figure. And the whole, I mean, even the last, like the finale song is just him like realizing kind of the whole time he said the best days of his life were past tense and he just wanted to get back to um, the Dominican Republic and um, kind of be there. But he finally realizes at the end that like, no, where he's at in Washington Heights is home. So like there's this cool, and he even references in the last song, like he says, Merry Christmas, you old building and loan. Um, I'm home. Um, and so anyway, I was just like, those things were the stuff that was going through my head of whatever that is, of whatever that guy was able to capture in that octopus documentary. Um, does that make any sense at all? Like there's this, yeah. it, it, there's like a sense of home to it in like how you describe this documentary, but you don't have to, which I am, it's cool. It's like, mate, I want to watch that now, but you also don't have to go live in an underwater forest mm. to necessarily discover that. Right. Well, you know, and this Which is you the, guys would say, I, yeah, anyway, totally. And same thing with alone in the Arctic, but what, what you didn't mention, Mike, at the beginning of the movie, he mentions these African Bushmen that he had done a documentary about when he was in his 20s um, who tracked animals and just had all of these practices that were passed on generation to generation of knowledge of the land and skills um, that required a lot of just human sense and tracking. And it wasn't like a lot of technology and tools and like that were just handed to you. Okay. This is how you haunt an antelope. It, was, it had to be learned through experience and mentorship and stuff. And he was looking at the whole thing, documenting them through this camera lens. And he felt so distant from not just them, but the, the place. And he wanted to be like them in the sense that they ate and breathed this place and this, these other creatures, and they were just part of it. You know, whereas he was like orbiting it with his camera and trying to look at it and analyze it. He wanted to be in it, you know, and that was what I think the octopus journey was about was here's this thing that's right under my nose. And I, I just need to stop looking at everything through a camera and enter reality. And for him, that was what it was, you know, um, so it, it wasn't something out there that I wish were the case, or I wish I lived there. Or I wish I was that person, but who I am right here, right now, I, I encounter it by encountering the place I'm in and the, and the things and the people in my life. Um, and I think that's what you're talking about with the Josh Hamilton story is like, you, you know, your dreams become a baseball player and, um, you do it, you accomplish it. And there's all the things of being on the road, the drugs, the women, the drinking, the, traveling and stuff like that and you're just kind of like moving from one thing to the next and you never really enter into the reality of where you are because it's not enough you got to keep moving to the next thing next thing next thing that's the addictive thing um and what was the other uh oh the in the heights thing yeah where where i am is where god meets me where reality meets me and i either assent to that and enter into true leisure, which is an affirmation of the goodness of the world and of myself and of other people and God, who is the source of it all. Or it's a basic no to God, which is this is not enough. I need something else. I need to 
use my autonomous will to manipulate reality so that it conforms to what I want it to be. And there's just no life down that road. Um, I'm not talking about a passive quietism, like, oh, just be content, you know, because the love of God impels us to do things and to, to change the state of affairs for the better, but not in a way that is like a basic no to reality. You get what I mean? And that, that's what I think, especially in our day and age, why the octopus teacher thing, it's necessary for a, a journey like that to, to show us that it's possible and desirable is that we, you know, like he's up in his fancy house editing his movies and making shows and becoming rich and famous. And here's this kelp forest, just like a hop, skip and a jump down the path from his house where he could really enter into reality. And he just was so bored up in his house and he had to go out just a little bit. And there was this octopus right under his nose. And that's why I think it's called my octopus teacher. It like taught him how to be at the risk of sounding cliche. Yeah. And I think this gets to that intuition that you had as well, Rob, about the reality TV show as compared to this different documentaries. He started going in with, with no ulterior motive rather than to, to just, yeah, kind of return to something that he knew was home to return to himself. And it was a very organic process. Like he never had an intention, at least in the beginning, or an agenda yeah, to he monetize wasn't going to Spain it. To find himself like a college kid. Yeah. And he wasn't going to to primarily make a documentary. He was going in as an authentic pursuit in this journey and then discovered something cool that he wanted to share, which was also through this hobby that he enjoyed, which is filmmaking. Whereas like from the get go, that reality TV show is, uh, it's built on this idea that you're going to be filming the whole thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's something about the organic nature that the documentary came about that that's really beautiful. And I think it keeps that purity. Um, and I don't know because some of the shots are so incredible. I don't know how, yeah, they I did it think, all. But you know, it's a lot of it, Like, how are you by yourself? Yeah, like, is he going back to get that camera, or mm -hmm. what situation here? But when you were talking about Josh Hamilton, it did make me think. And his story is amazing because he wasn't he the number one draft pick, and then he hit rock bottom, and then didn't he like join um, a clubhouse and organization as a janitor? And then climbed his way back up. I don't and remember. I know that he was the number one draft pick. He, I think he pretty much flopped and like got really, really into uh, yeah. drug, rock bottom. But then he came back after that. I know he won at least one MVP, went to a couple World yeah. Series with the Rangers. And I think he may have had like some, some trouble since. Afterwards, so I hope he's yeah. like, I hope he's doing okay. Now, I don't know. Like I said, that was probably. 10 years ago i read that yeah that book but yeah no no, no. I, I remember seeing him in the home run derby just munching baseballs yeah <laughs> um but when i was in college you know I'd, I'd be off doing my my college thing like yeah trying to manipulate reality to make myself happy and all these different things and i was so hungry on like spring breaks or different like a long weekend to go home to my family just to be with them and you know, t 
to do more than hit the reset button. It was like live at home to yeah be fed by those things that that fed me growing up to to reground me and to I don't know, rediscover is maybe a little bit too cliche or dramatic, but to to just be myself. You know, we're off in college. I'm trying to um, do all these different things and I don't know about discover myself, but you know, you're growing in maturity and all these different things. But then like I would, I would come back home and hang out with my parents, my mom and my dad and, you know, hang out with the little brothers down in the basement. And you're like, Oh, this is, this is reality right here. This is so good. It's undeniably good. And I want this to be a part of my life. Uh, and I had to come home to experience it in order for it to really take root in me again. Um, so that desire to, to come home, man, I, that definitely resonates with me big time. All right, fellas. Good talk. Did you say the guy had a cyst on his meniscus? It was a torn meniscus and a partially torn MCL, I think, that created what he called a baker's cyst, which is when like the fluid builds up. And so it was in the back of his knee, actually. Oh, oh my gosh. But that sounds been, terrible. Oh, rupture and cause sepsis. Oh. Yeah, pretty gnarly. I don't know much about cysts or menisci, <laughs> but uh, that doesn't sound good. No. He was trying to power through it and as soon as he tweaked his knee because I've seen a, a couple different seasons of this show. You know, I was just like, tap, dude. It's, there's no point. No. Once you get in there. Oh, gosh, man. That, yeah. And you're not going to make it 100 days kind of like when you that twist level. your knee at twelve day 12. I love being in the woods and spending days in the woods and stuff like that. But I also love coming in and getting mcdonald's breakfast and yep. <laughs> watching college football and then going back out and hunting the evening you know what i'm saying every episode somebody taps out that's how it ends and they're getting brought out on the boat and you can see their their despondent face but i i always think yeah but dude you're about to get a nice meal hardy's <laughs> or something you go to mickey d's man There's a silver lining you didn't win the million dollars but there's cheeseburgers in your future, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> and that's literally the counter argument, which is compelling. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good See, week, uh, my dudes. Peace out. Are we on Wednesday, Clubhouse? I thought we were not. We were not on last. Oh, no, we are off. Okay, we're off. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We're off. Be known. We're not, we will not be on Clubhouse. Got it. Cool. All right, laters. See ya. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisque, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary it may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.
Spanky dogs. Spanky dogs. Good girl.